The Paradise Center for the Arts is a vibrant cultural and artistic gathering spot in historic downtown Faribault. The Paradise is committed to offering high-quality visual and performing art opportunities for Faribault and our region. Regular events spotlight some of the best artists and musicians in our area and throughout Minnesota and the Upper Midwest. Our beautifully restored facility includes art galleries, classrooms, clay and textile labs, a gift shop and rehearsal spaces, in addition to a 300-seat auditorium. Visit ParadiseCenterForTheArts.org for a full schedule of events or call our box office at 507-332-7372. Art Zany. Radio for the Imagination, with your host, Paula Granquist, is brought to you by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts. And now, Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. Good morning and welcome to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. This is Paula Granquist. I want to thank you so much for listening to the show that celebrates creating in stories and gets together to tune our imaginations. And today I'm really excited. We're going to be talking again about the Vintage Band Festival because there's just too much to do in just one show. So we're going to expand it to two sessions. And one of the things I've been thinking about this week is community because, you know, I I think about my world in these uh, little circles of communities that I inhabit. And, you know, I see it as, as my happy place, right? All these different places that I go with lots of little floating bubbles. And I love it when they bump up against each other and connections become bigger. And I say that we all need these places to help us support our interests and enjoyments. And it's wonderful when we find people who feel like-minded, right? And we can share in those passions. But it's also important sometimes to, to venture out of your comfort bubble and check what's happening nearby you. And I think that maybe is some of the things, that, the challenges we, we face during all of these lockdowns is that we were tightening up our circles and staying within our comfort communities. So maybe now is a chance where we're having more opportunities to venture out and into our communities again. And one of the things that I love about this community is that there's people with so many different passions and people love to share their passions, their talents, and their time with others. And that's why I love these stories on Arts Annie Radio, because you get to feature so many different uh, people and places and things that are happening that maybe you just didn't know about and you often wondered about. So I hope that's what we can bring to you on Arts Annie Radio. And we also get the opportunity to have lots of visitors come and be with us on, on the show. And that I particularly love when we get to do that. And today is one of those days because we are featuring the Newberry Victorian Cornet Band and joining me in the studio I think I'll go ahead and turn on microphones and we'll jump in and talk about I have a a Lisa Elisa. Elisa. I'm sorry I, the <laughs> Z gets me Elisa Kohler and Michael O'Connor from the uh, Newberry's Victorian Cornet Band and it's, a, it's a, a group of professional brass musicians that perform on antique instruments from the period known as the Golden Age of Bands that's 1870 to 1900 and it's a cornet band because instruments that they play except for maybe the occasional, I, I heard trombone might sneak in there sometime, or percussion come from the saxhorn family. And so first, I, I think we're just going to start off with a little bit of an invitation, maybe, to 
uh, the music and kind of invite everybody to come to the Vintage Band Festival. Maybe you heard some of those shows last night. There's more happening all day today, all through the weekend. So we're going to play a selection from Thomas Coates, the father of band music in America. This is a Newbury Victorian cornet band, and they are playing Wilking Quickstep. Is there something that folks need to know about this particular piece that uh, you said it was one of the ones that that people love to hear from your group? Hi, this is Mike. Um, yeah, a, a quick step is a military-type march, um, but it was also popular with uh, piano players in the 1850s and 1860s all the way to the end of the 19th century. And so very popular style of music at the time. We don't know what this one was named after. Um, there's a possibility it was named after a tailor named Wilking in uh, where Thomas Coates was from, Easton, Pennsylvania. And so I could imagine uh, him writing this nice little quick step in exchange for a nice new suit of clothes or something. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like something you would do. And And I'd just like to mention that if anyone comes to our concerts during the Vintage Band Festival, this is our opening tune. So you'll recognize it. All right, folks, let's take a listen and we'll play uh, this Thomas Coates, uh, the father of the band Music in America, is the name of the album. And the tune is the Wilking Quick Step. Right, folks, that is, in fact, the Newberry Victorian Cornet Band. 
what a great invitation that is to say, come on down to the Vintage Band Festival. That's from the album Thomas Coates, the father of band music in America, the Wilking Quickstep. Just a fabulous piece. We'll go ahead and wind that down as we get ready to share more stories and music. Um, that was not the right one that I was doing, so I'm glad that I caught that. <laughs> Otherwise, we might not have been broadcasting. Ah, this digital world. <laughs> and so, folks, uh, I'm so excited that you're here again. The Vintage Band Festival 2022. This is the big one. This is where it's uh, the um, multiple days. It's four days, 30-plus bands, 60-plus concerts happening this weekend in Northfield, Minnesota, the 28th. It started yesterday, goes through Sunday the 31st. You can get all the details, vintagebandfestival.org. And the Newberry's Cornet Band, their first concert after our show is today, Friday the 29th at one at the Bridge Square Legacy Stage. And we talked a little bit about the band. And now I want to introduce our guests who are in studio. Uh, as I mentioned, we have uh, Michael O'Connor here and Alyssa Kohler um, from the Newberry Band. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and uh, a little bit about you know how you got connected to this music? Uh, I was am amazed reading your bios, all the things that you do. It's not just this. This is like a passion project, I think. <laughs> so I'd love to hear and get our listeners to know a little bit more about you. Michael's going to start us off. <laughs> well, normally I love ladies first, but Lisa's pointing at <laughs> she me. She is. Here. You can't Michael, see that. <laughs> Michael comes first. Yes, um, and, and it's probably because I, I founded the band back in uh, 2002 while I was teaching at the University of Delaware. And my original idea is I wanted to start one of these Civil War brass bands. Um, but then I found out how much those instruments cost. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, well, maybe we'll do something, you know, maybe a little bit later in time. And as I did some more research, I found there's a whole era of band music that happens like right after the Civil War, up to about the time that John Philip Sousa starts his civilian band in 1892, that I've never heard any of the music from. I've never really heard anything about. And so I started doing some research, you know, about, you know, what I could find. And, you know, I also noticed that the Library of Congress had put up a whole bunch of music you could download from that era, from 1870s, 1880s. And I thought, okay, well, I'll download this and I'll get some friends together. You know, I'll, I'll buy them a couple beers and we'll, you know, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, see what, we'll see what it sounds like. And, you know... After some time went by, you know, some people said, ah, that's enough of that. And, and some others said, this is really, really cool. Let's put together a band and let's, let's do some things. And so eventually we started recruiting some very, very fine musicians and uh, said, well, you know, we might as well do something with this. We'll go do some concerts. Hey, maybe even make a recording. And eventually we did get around to that. And, and one of those musicians I found was my colleague here, Lisa Kohler, who is a very fine conductor and a brilliant trumpet player and just a really wonderful person you know, to have around. Um, and so we gathered a whole bunch of people very much like that. And we just have a great time with this band. Fortunately, when I moved down to Florida to take a job, I teach at Palm Beach Atlantic University. And, um, you know, the... Uh, the department there was very, very good about, you know, uh, giving funds to travel and things like that. So eventually we were able to make some recordings as like part of my research and to do things like here, the Vintage Band Festival. And so, you know, we came to the very first one in 2006 at the invitation of Paul Nemisto. 
and which I have to offer, you know, very great thanks for. Oh yes, you know, thanks to Paul. He's amazing. We all agree. <laughs> He's just uh, he has these ideas. He dreams them up and makes them happen, and we all get to benefit from all that great music he brings to our community. And so eventually, I did have to make a decision about, you know, how do I want to do this band? Do I want to put together a local group, you know, that we can rehearse together a lot, uh, like a lot of the bands who do perform here? Or um, do I just want to pick the best musicians, the, my, my best friends, and we'll get together every now and then. You know, we'll make recordings, we'll do the Vintage Band Festival, and that's kind of where I came down on that. Um, and so I always look forward every few years to coming up here and, and getting together with these guys and, and just being in beautiful Northfield. Um, I'm, you know, I live in Florida, but I'm not a big fan of the climate down there. And so I, just, I love coming up here Especially in this time of year, I would oh, imagine. Goodness, yes. <laughs> it's a big, big change. And we brought some really pleasant weather this weekend. So. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. Well, that's, but I'll, I'll turn it to Elisa now to tell you a little bit about her. Oh, yeah, thanks. Elisa. We, we yeah. Gotta, we're going to tease everybody that she has a great uh, John Philip Sousa story. So, oh, But tell yeah. us a little bit about thanks. yourself. <laughs> well, I am a trumpet player. I'm a conductor. I've always been fascinated by history. Um, as a about 10 years old, I fell in love with Abraham Lincoln, and I delved into history. I was your classic little nerd. I gave <laughs> talks on Lincoln's birthday at elementary school. The teachers loved that. They'd all go have coffee. But um, I've always been fascinated by brass instrument history because it's not really taught. You just um, first time I played in an, in a youth orchestra in high school is playing a Beethoven symphony, and hey, the trumpet didn't have the melody, and they kept telling us to be quiet, but it said forte, and then they said, oh, by the way, you have to play this part down an octave. Why? Just do it, you know. And I and I was always curious about all sorts of things about the trumpet. So, long uh, story short, I went to Peabody for my under my undergrad as a trumpet major then I got my master's as a trumpet major and I wanted to be an orchestral co conductor but I didn't see women doing it at the time this was in the early 80s so I thought well I'll do the next best thing I'll play in an orchestra and gosh darn it I won an orchestra job I was in Dayton Ohio played with the Dayton Philharmonic and many other orchestras then I got into Peabody's conducting program and uh, for my dissertation I wrote about an Italian-American band master Salvatore Minichini whose entire library of manuscript band music is at the University of Maryland. So it was a perfect dissertation topic because people were like, well, we just got this in. It's not cataloged. We don't know what some of the instruments are, but it's lots of operatic rhapsodies and arrangements. Oh, I'm in, you know. So through, through that connection, I was still um, an orchestra conductor. I got a job at Goucher college in Baltimore and I was freelancing as a trumpet player with lots of other groups and then I got interested in uh, the Historic Brass Society and through those co connections met Mike. I started playing Baroque trumpet and cornetto and I was playing cornetto in a group with Mike, the Washington Cornet Sackbutt Ensemble. What was this, like around 2001, 2002? Yeah, Probably. I don't date myself. That's all right. <laughs> but uh, then Mike was like, oh, we have this band. You should play the cornet. You should get a vintage cornet. And I've always wanted to play the cornet. But as a – well, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole with that. But um, I'll tell you my Sousa story in 
just a moment, but um, Mike invited me to be part of the band. I found a vintage cornet on eBay, learned lots of things about the instruments. We'll talk about that later, what the differences are, are with the instruments. And um, I felt a strange kinship to it all because my maternal great-grandfather played E-flat clarinet in Sousa's band at the turn of the 20th century. Through my research on my dissertation with Salvatore Minichini, I got in touch with Paul Byerly, who sadly passed away, I think, this past year, mm -hmm. who's Sousa's biographer, and he's always looking to connect relatives of Sousa band members. There's a whole legacy there. He's published a book, The Incredible Band of John Philip Sousa. <laughs> and uh, my great-grandfather, my, yeah, my great-grandfather on my mother's side, uh, Frank Josef Kaparalik, is in there. And he's from Bohemia. I looked up on Ancestry.com. I saw the census records. He lived on Eager Street in Baltimore in the 1920s. Uh, he died of tuberculosis, according to family lore, after cleaning a colleague's clarinet. So in these COVID times, yeah, think about the germs <laughs> that can carry on. But uh, I have uh, Paul Byerly sent me uh, ships registers from tours, photos. I had family photos, and, and I found him in a photo uh, where he's literally a few feet away from Herbert L. Clark and Sousa himself. And I'm like, there he is, my great-grandfather. So, um, was that a story you knew before you had, had done some of this research? Or did, or mm -hmm. was, so the yeah, family this was talked about Everyone it. in the family. My older brother, Mark, who is a fine singer, played clarinet, in high school because he wanted to be like bring it was a big family okay. a big family point of pride and i i was a disaster on the clarinet when we had music music class to try out the instruments so i picked i picked the trumpet it only has three valves how hard can it be right <laughs> <laughs> as a clarinet player i never would have picked the trumpet because of, yeah. of that too so my. so that, so that was a lot of fun and uh so um, now I'm a college professor too. I used to teach at Goucher College in Baltimore. That's when I first met Mike and was there for 21 years. And now I'm a chair of the Department of Music at Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is just over the border from Charlotte, North Carolina. So you guys have traveled a long way to come. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Love and, being here. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. It's it's exciting. And, and as you mentioned, your group, the Newberry's Victorian Cornet Band, has been here for every single one of the big festivals. And we are just thrilled to be able to welcome you back and to have you here for uh, the Vintage Band Festival, which we all love and you know wait eagerly every three years for the giant weekend to come. And I know there's a lot of people who put a lot of uh, work into it. A couple things uh, most people know when you hear John Philip Sousa, they'll know that that name. And the, I mean, he's the father of band, right? I mean, just has an incredible story. But the Thomas Coates we played, not as many people know about him. So maybe you could offer us just a, a little bit of how you picked to do an entire album of, of his work. <laughs> Well, yes. Um, I'm a musicologist by profession, so um, I combine my 
my work as a music historian with my love of playing, you know, uh, brass music. I'm a euphonium player. Is uh, that was my first two degrees in music. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I chose Thomas Coates because um, I was looking through the music of uh, the actually the uh, the books that I'll talk about over at uh, uh, Carleton College today at the Historic Brass Society meeting. And I, I noticed that there were no recordings of any of the music by Thomas Coates, but I kept seeing his name in these band books. And then I also I also have a Civil War band now in which. Um, you know, I didn't have to buy all the instruments. <laughs> and so, that was your dream, right? <laughs> for, fortunately, I can play now. And so when I moved down to Florida, one of the things I wanted to do was bring my friends back down and say, hey, let's, let's find something to do down here and, and play some of the Civil War music. So I looked around, and I noticed uh, Fort Zachary Taylor down in Key West um, was a place where uh, the Union soldiers were stationed during the war because, you know, they basically took over the fort at the beginning of the war and, and you know, it never fell to the Confederates or anything like that. So um, I looked to see, well, did they have any bands there? And it turns out there was a band from Pennsylvania, the 47th uh, Volunteer Infantry from uh, mostly Allentown, but they had a band with them. And the band was from Easton, Pennsylvania, and it was a very well-known band at the time. It was led by a guy named Thomas Coates. So I said, wow, this is great. You know, I've seen this guy's name in the manuscripts, and, and now I have, I know he had a band in Key West. Let's just kind of go reenact that band. And so I started looking up the music and transcribing out into modern notation. And, and sure enough, it was very interesting music, unlike a lot of the other music of the time. He was a very, very sort of uh, experimental musician for his day. Um, and then I found out as I did some more research that a lot of people knew who he was. He was actually very famous in, say, the late 1840s, especially the 1850s when he worked in New York City. Um, before he came back to Easton. So, so he was actually before the Civil War then. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he lived to be 95 years old. or Yeah, in his 90s. He died in 1895. So here's a guy who's working in the 1840s whose music is still being sort of you know put in the catalogs right next to the Sousa Band music, you know, in, in 1895, right before he died. He, he worked all the way up until that last day. So um, it just got me really interested, you know, from an intellectual uh, perspective, you know, to, to work on this music. And so, again, I got funding from my university to, um, to record the music. Um, we did, you know, some, you know, the sort of Kickstarter sort of things to get, you know, the CD finished. And so we, we published it on uh, MSR Classics, which is a very, very nice label. And um, this is the only time that Thomas Coates' music has ever been recorded and, uh, you know, is part of a research project. But also, you know, I really wanted people to know about this guy. He was very, very well known in his day. What a great yeah. gift yeah. to bring <laughs> this music to life. Because chances are, if it's not recorded, mm -hmm. it, it, it would be harder for it to live on another hundred years. Right. And we're, we're hoping this will be a nice reference recording that people will go back to as part of, you know, talking about band history in America. And and that is, you know, part of what the Vintage Band Festival loves to do is give us all of that. I picked out another piece mm -hmm. um, from this particular uh, album, and it's called uh, My Native Land. And I thought it was an, had kind of a, a different sound that um, would would be great for people to hear. So Yeah, this one is uh, from the famous operetta composer Franz von Suppe. And... Uh, I hate to call it filler on the album, but we didn't have enough Coates material to, <laughs> to fill a CD. So we, we used some of the other things that we were playing, too. And this is a, a baritone horn solo. It's a, it's a tenor solo in the operetta. It's a, an American journalist, actually, in, um, I want to say Turkey is where it's set. 
And so he's he's singing about his native land at that point. And uh, it's a baritone horn soloist by Barry Buchanan, who's our, our baritone soloist in the band. Well, let's take a listen and see a little bit more about this particular, uh, just, just to give our ear a different different sound. And I'm going to go quiet that down. Isn't that just a beautiful sound? I just think it's so wonderful. It's good to know that these bands don't just have that march or uh, that dance music. They have this kind of music, too, which is quite glorious. And so I thought we should share a bit of that part of the story, too. And so that gives us a a really good... I'm so glad I learned a, a little bit more about Thomas Coates and what he does and uh, one of the things I wanted to ask about was the name of the band. It's the Newbury's Victorian Cornet Band. And I heard, I read some interesting stories, so I'll have Elisa tell us a little bit sure, about sure. how it happened to be. Well, before I joined the band, the original conductor was named Flora 
Newberry. And she was, <laughs> is still, she's a gloriously talented trumpet player, cornet player. She also sings, she plays uh, guitar. She's based out of, I think, El Paso, Texas now. But um, she was the leader and she was going to move on and do some other things. So Mike asked me to do it. But we love the name Newberry because it sounds Victorian. Mm -hmm. And my name Kohler makes people think of plumbing. So, but what I read was that it was tradition to have the conductor's name be in the name of the band, but you decided not to carry on that tradition. No, because we, um, the band was already known as the Newberry Band, and there's the Goldman Band, the Sousa Band, the Gilmore Band, and the Glenn Miller Band, for that matter. It's, these leaders are no longer there, but when they reenact the band, they still call it, there's the new Sousa Band. I don't know if they're still operating now, mm-hmm. Keith. Brian does them. But, uh, yeah, so what's in a name? A great name. And the band is a group. It's not about me personally. Well, I think it's it's it is catchy and it does sound Victorian. So even during the day, um, when a leader might pass away or something like that, very frequently the band would keep the name because it was it was a brand. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. They knew they well even said. knew back then that 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 yeah. was an important you know exactly. put it up on the billboard. They have the posters. People want you want, you know want people to come. Mm-hmm. So if they recognize it, they're more likely to. Mm-hmm. That's folks. We're here on Art Zany Radio. It is. Friday, the 29th of July, 2022, and we're talking about the Vintage Band Festival, which is happening this weekend, four days. The first day is already gone, so three days remaining, so you've got to run quick, get to some of the concerts. 30 bands, 60 concerts, mainly happening in the uh, Bridge Square and up at uh, Central Park, but so downtown you'll find, you'll just listen for the, the sounds and you'll, you'll, you'll track it down, but you can get all of those details at VintageBandFestival.org. I am honored today to have, um, from the Newberry's Victorian Cornet Band, Alyssa Kohler and Lisa. Michael. Did I do it wrong again? Say, say it for okay. me. It's Ella. It's Elisa. Elisa. Okay. Yeah, Elisa. I put, uh, gotcha. Sorry. No, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I, I, it is, if people listen to Arts Any Radio, I do, sometimes if I get a thing in my head, sometimes I can't get it out. And so I'm glad you corrected me because I want to say your name right. So um, and, and welcome to Arts Any Radio. Michael O'Connor is also here. And we're talking about this you know, great music from this time and, you know, the sounds of this music which you are bringing back to life. Let's talk about the instruments because I think that's a really fascinating part of it because not everybody listening will recognize that you know, these are the instruments from that time. You you don't go, you know, to the music store, buy a new trumpet and come join the band. So, you know, how do one, how do people even get a hold of these instruments? They're hundred year, hundreds of years old, uh, so there are probably not many of them out there and how do you make something that's that old sound so great i mean (laughs) well i'll answer your last question first uh uh, i gather together very very good musicians Mm. and uh, often in the concerts i I just kind of wish i could have everybody put down the instruments pick up their modern instruments and play something so that everybody could really appreciate really how good these players are um yes I'll, i'll agree that these instruments are old um some of them are in better condition than others and you know it's you know it's it's a real challenge to play them but the the people that have gathered here 
that's what they like. They like that challenge. It's, mm. it's not that they've mastered everything about the modern instrument, but it's, you know, it, it, it's a challenge, you know, making it play in tune and, and, and bring, to, bring to life the sound of that, that time. That's really what we're into. So we go as far as to not only play the old instruments, we use the original mouthpieces too. Oh, that's and a big thing. We have found that that really gives it a very different sound than trying to, you know, jam a modern mouthpiece in there, which would be so much easier for us, <laughs> you know, because that's what we're used to. But playing those old mouthpieces make the horn sound like it did in the 1880s. And that's our goal is we want to recreate that sound as best as we possibly can. We realize there's there's almost no recordings from that time. And the ones that do exist are, you know, it's, it's really hard to tell if that's the real sound or not. And so, you know, we, we, you know, we research, we, we play it, and there's sort of a general rule. The horn will tell you how to play it. Hmm. And so we try to get the best sound we possibly can from the instrument, and, and that's where it comes from. Now, as far as how the band's put together, it's, it's like a normal concert band you would see today, except with a lot fewer woodwinds. So essentially, if you start about the 1870s after the Civil War, you take that, that Civil War brass band sound. So you have the upper instruments, which are the cornets, and you have two flavors of those. You have an E-flat, kind of high-sounding cornet. You have a B-flat, which is sort of what most people would recognize from the B-flat trumpets you see in the bands all the time. But mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a cornet, a much mellower instrument. Um, for those familiar with British brass bands, they're, they're filled with cornets rather than trumpets. So we use that type of instrument. And then uh, we also have what's called alto horns, which is an E-flat instrument, which uh, kind of the French horn range, mm -hmm. if you would. Then we have B-flat tenor instruments, which are sort of like the... And they alternate on trombone, so they play two instruments in our concerts, yeah. And so, and then we go down to the, the baritones, which for most folks would, would know them as euphoniums. And there's two roles, actually, for the baritone instruments. Uh, there's the soloist, like you heard on the recording, and who gets to play the fun stuff. And then there's what's called a B-flat bass, which plays like a lot of bass trombone type things. Mm -hmm. And then we have our, our basses, which are, are our tubas which are in the key of E-flat, so a little bit smaller than the big tuba that you see in modern concert bands today. And then, of course, we have percussionists, too. We add to that, starting about the early 1880s, um, clarinets. And so we bring in the clarinets, B-flat clarinets and an E-flat clarinet, just one, because one E-flat clarinet will balance a band of, like, 300. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone has heard it before, you know that's so oh, true. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Absolutely. And and then the, the the frosting on top is the wonderful D flat piccolo, mm. which just it really just makes everything sound so beautiful, and 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 that is the 1880s band right there. You have just a few clarinets, that piccolo, and then mostly brass instruments. And so, how many members make up the the group? Uh, we have, depending on the performances, anywhere between about 18 and and for a big performance, maybe. 30 you know with some doublings going on yeah uh, yeah it's the sound is really wonderful and and i i think to uh, to appreciate what it takes to make those instruments sound good how do we explain that to people that oh. what you have to do to you know is your embouchure completely different are you breathing you know what adjustments are you making going from a modern instrument to a, a vintage instrument well mike said it well when he said you have to get to know the instrument the instrument will teach you how to play it because um it has good notes it has bad notes and the technology of instrumental manufacture changed drastically, especially during the 19th century. Um, so the most important thing, as, as we were saying before, is using the original mouth 
mouthpiece. And some instruments come with a mouthpiece. The one that I'm using this 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 week did. Kind of, uh, the maker is uh, Seefelt or Zefelt in German, and it's a Levy model, and it's way deeper than your even a regular cornet mouthpiece. It's more like a horn mouth. Mm mouthpiece with a thinner thinner rim the bore sides which is the width of the tubing is starts much smaller so you can't put a modern mouthpiece in it i'm lucky i got a mouthpiece that came with my cornet because i would not find another one to fit right so um but the bore size you know starts smaller and then gets larger and larger that's why um a lot of the sax horn family are called conical brasses. It's like a cone starts small, gets wider. So if you think of ice cream cone, there you go. But uh, having the instruments and learning how to play them, your embouchure is going to be the same. The difference is in the inside of your mouth. Say ah, ah. Everybody at home listening, say ah, say oh. Close, close your mouth and say oh, mm. and then and, and then if you think e, you're going to move your tongue to the roof of your mouth like you got peanut butter stuck there, e, and that's going to direct the air differently. So if you say, think about fogging up a mirror, you know, oh, the door. Uh, you want to sound like Darth Vader. <laughs> That's the really hot air, and then the cold air is you hiss like a snake. So, and in the inside of the inside of your mouth is gonna be a resonating chamber. Think of a violin. Think of a guitar. Mm. The hollow opening of that instrument. You know, that's a pre-resonator. That's how I think of it. It's not uh, physics, people. Please don't send me hate mail but but that's that's sort of how it works with um getting the sound for the instrument but the embouchure is is just uh, always going to be strong it's going to be the same but it's but it's the inside of the mouth and all the way that you the way that you're going to blow through it but i must emphasize that our instruments are not pitched in modern pitch if you go hear an orchestra play, you hear the oboe tune the orchestra. Right. That is sounding at 440 hertz. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. The. Oh, when you like the when you a. tune your instrument. Yes. yes. Yeah. So eh, I don't forgive me. I don't have perfect pitch, but I think that's close mm-hmm. to an A uh, where it will tune. But for our instruments, they're usually pitched at A at 454 hertz or A at 452 hertz, which was old philharmonic pitch. And there's a whole rabbit hole I could go down, which I will not. But I'll recommend a great book called The Story of A. A History of Performing Pitch by the late oboist Bruce Haynes. And in terms of temperament, which is the tuning of the notes within a scale, there is a great book called How Equal Temperament Ruined Harmony and Why You Should Care by (laughs) Ross Duffin. So that's the, you know, just to get into that. So we're also dealing with that, although temperament's not such a big case with these instruments as it is with older instruments but yeah it's very interesting it's fascinating yeah 
Yeah, Lisa gave a, a very, very good description on, on, on brass playing, and, and I'm going to bring her to my university to, to do a clinic at some oh, point. Oh, thank sure. you, thank yeah. you. <laughs> but um, a, a short answer to your question, yeah, we, we play these horns uh, very much like we would play our, our modern instruments, but we make adjustments. You know, as again, as the instrument sort of you know tells us, oh, this is a good sound. This is not such a great sound, and you know, just little minor adjustments that professional musicians you know understand how to do. So it's 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 not a really big difference, other than the fact that you just really have to use your ears. So and, is, and you yeah. have to listen to each other, I would assume too, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, and to articulation. You asked about rehearsals while we were listening to one of the musical yeah. selections. I just want to very, very briefly say mm -hmm. during the rehearsals, I'm a fiend with articulation because that's the enunciation, that's the inflection that makes such a difference for the ensemble sound as well as phrasing. It makes a big difference whether... So tell yeah. us a little about it then. Is that each yeah. individual uh, player is mm -hmm. thinking, like you would talk, think about articulating dialogue in, in a, a theater piece? Is it like that? Excellent analogy. Could not have said it better. That's exactly right. It's, uh, think of that Wilking quick step that we listen to. Right. So, so you can, you can, that was fun. I like that. Well, you, you should can, add that. Yeah. Hey, there you go. But, but, but you can hear that there's a difference between da, ta, la, Da ra ra, yeah. So the and uh, this isn't my idea. There are treatises from the 17th century. There's a great trumpet treatise by uh, Girolamo Fantini, not Geronimo, but Girolamo <laughs> Fantini from 1638, where he has some rhythmic passages, and he's got these uh, Italian words underneath the notes where he wants you to go which is the double tonguing just oh. a quick thing people always wonder what is the multiple tonguing if you say ta everyone at home say ta 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 your tongue is tapping 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 like above your front teeth ta 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 now if you say ga 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 like Popeye ga 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 right ga 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 your tongue is rebounding and hitting the back of your mouth, essentially. So if you say taga taga or taka taka, which is, or in the Arben book, trumpet players out there, tuku tuku, because he was French. <laughs> right. So, and that makes your tongue form the right way. But so if you say taga 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 and then if you're going to triple tongue, you can either go ta 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 or you can go if you want it to be more articulate or you can go there's just all sorts of different ways to do it I just sing during re rehearsal we're dealing with fabulous professionals they know what to do I just tell them this is how it should sound that, you make it happen I think that is yeah. really it's almost as if the piece of equipment and the player become one instrument and they're each having a you have to meld that together i hadn't thought about that before that you have to make it work so that you're you know create at the end comes out this glorious thing but you've you've bl blended together what the instrument can do and what you're you're you know how you're shaping the sound 
it works. You have to work with both those those components. It's like if you are traveling and you get a rental car, and your rental car is different from your regular car. You got to get used to the sensitivity for the accelerator, especially if there's a cop around, and <laughs> and the sensitivity for the brakes. You're gonna have to brake hard. You're gonna have to brake easy. Are you gonna have to really gun it up because you've got a cheap engine, or you had a V8 Hemi where you just breathe on it and it goes right? <laughs> All that kind of stuff. So that so that's sort of so these instruments the articulation that's why i always talk about how i want the sound to be because as mike was saying the instrument teaches you how to play it so it's going to react to what you put in and maybe you need to brake harder maybe you need to accelerate more maybe you need to tongue harder and sometimes maybe you just to get that nice warm delicate sound that we listened to from the excerpt with Barry playing the uh the baritone solo my native Milan that, that you played a little you know that wah da 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 you know say da is going to be different from ta and and so we talk about what that sound is but sometimes your instrument may not be a Lexus, maybe you're driving a insert cheap car name here, uh, you might need to tongue harder to get it to giddy up. So yeah. people people know what their instrument does and sometimes you have to ta 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 to get da 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 out of out out of your horn. And and just like in the, the bands probably of the time too, we have a wide range of uh qualities of instruments in the band, mm-hmm. uh, based on availability of course. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the cornets are playing some very finely made instruments. Whereas in the low brass section, you know, just because some of these instruments were all melted down during World War One for for brass shell casings, you know, um, some of our instruments are are not quite as good as theirs. I mean, we we have it to where you know we have good enough instruments, but you know, there, there's a bit of a mix. So yeah, you have different approaches to playing these. And one thing I notice is that like on my uh, instrument, the difference between that and the modern instrument that I play is that it takes less effort to get a sound out of this instrument. Because it's it's a different type of metal. It's mm-hmm. lighter. It's you know it's not as big and cavernous as like these modern instruments. You know where you have to play quite a bit louder. And so that's I actually like that. You could just barely touch it. and It plays. Yeah. I, th- I hope that listeners are, <laughs> un, you know, taking this all in as they're you know thinking about which concerts to go to and and hearing these these vintage instruments, a greater appreciation of the, the you know the quality of the musicianship that is. Mm-hmm in front of us and and kind of understanding you know what it takes to make the sound is just so beautiful you don't think about all of those layers that go into making it happen and could i ask you to talk about resonant spaces too because that's part of our instrument so if you think about instruments that that primarily played outdoors rather than indoors or if oh sure or you have the, the weather way, <laughs> yeah a string quartet outside sounds wonderful if it's in a resonant space with a shell, with a roof over it. Um, right. But brass instruments can play anywhere. and it's Whatever um, direction. Yeah. And <laughs> also pointing. with, I, I just want to make a shameless plug for my book, Fanfares and Finesse, A Performer's Guide to Trumpet History and Literature Published by Indiana University Press, because that tells the whole story. I'm not going to tell it all now. People are going to fall back asleep. But the whole point is that as instruments changed, the venues in which they played changed. So we're a gazebo band, if you want to think of it like 
think of it like that. We would be outdoors. We would be mm-hmm. playing, you know, sometimes in a larger hall. But when you think about uh, the early jazz, which we overlap with, basically, mm-hmm. in the early in the early 20th century, uh, the vintage cornet, which I know and love, um, morphed into the modern trumpet around like 1910-1920, roughly the Benj B-flat trumpet became the standard B-flat trumpet that everybody that everybody plays now. But even then, uh, cornets were becoming a bit more cylindrical and less and less conical in their tubing because the bands were louder, the halls were bigger, and they needed a more pro- projecting sound. So when you listen to the vintage bands, you listen to the cornet-based bands, uh, the sax horns, that beautiful baritone, etc., the alto horns, they have this loving warmth, this resonant quality, and the articulation sounds different. We can also get brassy, too. Yeah, we can pull it out. I had never but, thought about that. Yeah. The history mm-hmm. of bands and how where they played changed mm-hmm. the instruments. Mm-hmm. At, you know, you know, outdoor gazebos, uh, you know, music halls, uh, tiny jazz clubs, opening up a store. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really a fascinating component of the history. I'm I'm learning so much, and uh, we've got so much to go, but so little time. So I guess I, what I want to make sure we, we talk about are the places that your band is playing. You are, again, Friday the 29th, which is today at 1 p.m. at Bridge Square on the Legacy Stage. So that is right downtown. And then again tonight you're going to be playing, and that's at the VFW Post 4393 right here in Northfield. On Saturday you'll at be at 5 o'clock again on the Bridge Square Legacy stage. And also, Saturday, we need to mention Battle of the Bands. That happens at noon. High noon. High noon. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Come downtown. And that is uh, quite... I don't know how to describe it. It's it's, it's fun. Exactly. It's, it's just a lot, a lot of, of fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> and it's unexpected and you don't know what's going to happen. And it uh, just is entertaining as heck. <laughs> yeah. Where else can you hear, um, uh, say, a Civil War style band, a band like ours, and then Baroque trumpets? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where else are mm-hmm. you going to hear those in the same place? <laughs> Taking off uh, in, in a competition of, I'm not sure what the prize is. Oh, it's just a <laughs> friendly, friendly it's, it's joyful. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's absolutely. absolutely. It's a celebration of music. And then right. uh, it's so intense because the stakes are so low. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we get lunch afterwards, right? Yeah. And so, and then the the. Uh, Vintage Band Festival wraps up with Sunday concerts. Uh, many are playing in churches throughout mm-hmm. our community, and the Newberry's Victorian Cornet Band will be at Bethel Lutheran Church on Sunday. I didn't have a time for that. Do you know? Uh, I want to say it's the, it's the early service. Early service. Yeah. I think it's 8.30. Okay. And then, of course, there'll be more music on Sunday as well. So you have a full schedule uh and can i pl- throw in one other quick plug yeah. uh, mike and i are both affiliated with the historic brass society and the historic brass society early brass festival is happening at the same time as the vintage band festival over at carlton college in the recital hall there we have uh lectures mike is giving a lecture uh in just a few minutes in <laughs> a little while this is morning at ten fifteen about some of his research which is fascinating i just love to hear mike talk i don't care what it's about well i do care what it's about but so but- Mike is a wonderful speaker, but um, and a great communicator. 
And uh, so there are lectures um, every morning, Friday, Saturday, Sunday from nine to noon. It's free. It's over at Carlton. So if you want to, you want to come over there early. I'm vice president of the Historic Brass Brass Society. Mike is the um, chair of publications for. The Whatever the building HBS. is, it's right it's across the, from uh, uh, the first uh, United uh, Church of Christ. It's the White Center. White um, Center, okay, yeah. yeah it's close creativity. to Union. It's yeah. like mm-hmm. the, I think, the corner of Union and Second Street or something like so that. So just follow the crowds going in for, yeah, for these yeah, lectures. Yeah, but I, I, I just wanted to mention that, too, <laughs> because that's that's another another part of this. It, right, because there's the scholarship and the performance aspect of Historicbrass.org for more information. So folks may be interested. And that's what I love about it is is being able to combine, you know, my love of research with my, my love of playing I've had since I was 10 years old, you know. <laughs> yeah, and both of you, it kind of seems like this is the track you were on for a long time. And it's just, uh, we could talk for hours, I think. And I know, but I do want to make sure that you get off to your, uh, t- you know, to your per- uh, sp- lecture and you have time to prepare and get there and have a glass of water before you <laughs> start speaking. Um, I, I guess maybe I'll, I'll ask a little bit about, um, you know, what what do you want audiences to learn from these performances or to hear or understand about, you know, the history of music or what they're experiencing as they're listening to your performances? That That's actually a very easy question. I, I want them to know that there is a repertoire of band music that um, that they've not heard before, that you know, I mean, that bands were one of the primary popular music ensembles, you know, from all the way from about the 1840s up through about the turn of the 20th century, you know, when jazz sort of starts taking over, you know, about the 1920s, and you know, bands are still very very popular at that time, but you know, you can tell that there's a change in the air at that point. But, you know, people came out to hear, you know, their local bands or the professional bands, you know, with great anticipation. You see some of these pictures of the Sousa band performing, and they're literally tens of thousands of people oh, absolutely. You know, listening yeah. to that group because they were the superstars of their day. Right, that, but would that yeah. have been the pop music, let's they say? They were the greatest. Definitely the pop music, yeah. Yeah, the Sousa band was the greatest uh, American musical export at the turn of the 20th century. Yeah. And I'll, they I'll were add the rock to that, stars. though. Um, yeah. You know, he based that on what the Gilmore Band was doing before that. Patrick right. Sarsfield Gilmore, a great Irishman, came over Cornet here. player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he est- he established, you know, the superstar band, essentially. And Sousa would not actually go out on tour with, with a civilian band until Gilmore was off the picture. Gilmore died in 1892, and guess when Sousa started? At, at 1892. Right at, he because he basically got a yeah. bunch of his players. Ah, so then he was able to sort of bring his sound and carry so forward. So we really have to talk about Gilmore in the same breath with Sousa, because you know Gilmore established the superstar band idea, you know, in the 1870s and 1880s, and he was also the one who created the big, you know, peace jubilees and things like that. So, you know, he was into everything. At the big. end of the Civil War, <laughs> yeah. Let's wow. celebrate peace because the Civil War is over. That was that was what they were and. I just want to add very quickly and simply, Mike's absolutely right. We want the audience to to learn about this, but I want them to go back in time, and I want them mm-hmm. to go back to a simpler time mm-hmm. where you started off the show talking about community 
and the human bonds and how we all missed being together during the pandemic. And I think we all missed, you know, hearing music. We all miss playing music together mm-hmm. during the pandemic. A lot of people lost, lost work. And I think in these times in which we live, music and that human connection and the back to basics approach to entertainment away from screens, <laughs> away from screams, frankly, uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. But Nothing does that like the Vintage Band Festival here in beautiful Northfield, Minnesota. We look forward to being here. We've been here since 2006 for, what, 16 years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just want to thank you for all that you do to make this happen. I I just get to talk to folks and then go be an audience (laughs) member, which is, you know, one of my favorite parts of it. And a lot of people have, especially, I guess, in this area, have connections to ancestors. And so if, if I can put on a show that looks and sounds like what your great-grandmother or great-great-grandmother, if you're a younger person, heard, then, you know, I, that's, that's, that's all I, you know, I wanted to do. That's you a know? pretty <laughs> great thing. And I'm just so thrilled. We, I, I have so much more we could talk about, but we're going to wrap it up because you got to get off. Yeah. Uh, folks, we're talking about the Newberry's Victorian Cornet Band. Grab their Gilded Age uh, music. I don't know. You, well, you have the CDs? CD. It's, CDs on, yeah. it's also on Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon. Music. And the Fantasia on La Sonambula. I'm not sure if I'm saying that. Sonambula. Sonambula. The Sleepwalkers. Sonambula. <laughs> There's an incredible clarinet part that I just like oh I just love 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 so we didn't have a chance to play that today. And they'll get a chance to hear it in our concerts where we're performing it. At every one of them? Giardino. Dominic Giardino. Remember that name. Uh He's our clarinet soloist. He's fabulous. Oh yeah you'd have to be to be able to to play play that tune so uh, I want to thank you so much for being here. Eliza? Elisa. Elisa. (laughs) See, and I I'm did just it glad again. you talked to me at all. I don't, <laughs> I don't really want to be a pain about it, <laughs> no. but thank you. And Lisa, um, Lisa Kohler from the Newberry's Victorian Cornet Band and Michael O'Connor as well. Thank you so much for joining me on Arts Any Radio. Thank you. It was our pleasure. It's, we had so much we could talk about, but go ask them questions when they're at the, <laughs> at the show. Folks, this is Art Zany Radio. I hope you remember to always add some Art Zany to your life. And in the meantime, until next time, enjoy your imagination. You've been listening to Art Zany, radio for the imagination, with your host, Paula Granquist. Art Zany is brought to you each week by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts in Faribault. Connect and experience art at the Northfield Arts Guild. Visit our galleries, arts festival, and take in a performance at our theater featuring a full season of dramas, comedies, and musicals. The Guild's gift shop showcases unique art from over 100 local and regional member artists. Come enjoy music from the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra or the 411 Concert Series. We invite you to explore your creativity in one of our classes. All are welcome at the Northfield Arts Guild. To learn how you can be a part, visit northfieldartsguild.org or call 507-645-8877. Every time I look at you, I have to do a double take because you're a kaleidoscope of Gustafsson, Bob D.